All right, well, let's open with prayer. Father, we thank you for your revealed truth that you um, continually open up to us. We thank you for the privilege to draw near and to know the depths of your heart. And Father, I just ask that um, what you have me release will be exactly what you need and the encouragement that you want to release to your sons. In Jesus' name. All right. Amen. So when I was praying about what to teach, I just kept hearing, fall on the rock, fall on the rock. And so I looked up rock, and we're familiar with the Sela rock, and we're familiar with the sewer rock, but the Father just had me look at um, sewer and really just in application to where I am right now. (laughs) And I'm sure... A lot of us are just in the dealings of the world as it is at the moment. So at the top, as a reminder, I have the definition of sewer, and it's a solid stone formation, and it denotes security and lasting quality of the positioning of our calling and authority through God. And it roots to ur, which means to peer into a scenario, to see something of supernatural rather than the current surrounding And that is absolutely where we have to be right now, (laughs) standing on that solid point of who we are, our identity, and seeing what's going on in the spirit versus what we just see in the natural with our eyes. Um, And so I started with Exodus because I just went to the first issuance of it. And we're all very familiar with Moses and the rock. And granted, this is the, um, the first time. And so Exodus 17, verses four through six, It says, And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel, and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, smotest the river, take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of Israel. And, um, you know, a couple things. One, and I included the first part just because, you know, it talks about Moses taking his rod, and we know that that represents the authority and the identity that he walked in as the one who was bearing the heart of the Father. And, um, and this is what he was to take in his hand and that's the word yod. We know that, you know, that open hand of partnership with the Father. And he was told to go with it. You know, go in that point of partnership that I've established you in, that I've called you to with all the authority, and go to this rock. And I thought it was interesting because it's not that Moses is standing on the rock in this, at this particular instance, but that the Father is standing before him because he says, behold, I will stand, so I will tarry, it's the word Ahmad, before thee. So I also found it interesting because it doesn't say in this verse which side of God he was seeing, but that the Father was standing face to face with him, although in the next scripture when Moses asked to see his face, he says, you are not (laughs) ready for that. But regardless, that he was there. And so, you know, the Father what he was doing was reminding Moses of the authority that he had given him to operate in when he willingly partnered with the open hand of the Father. 
And then he sets the stage for him to come into with that mindset into the place where the father was dwelling and to really see that desolate waste place, because that's what Horeb is. It says, you know, I will stand before thee upon the rock in Horeb. And Horeb actually means desolate or waste. Um, But so the father set the stage for him to come to that place, that desolate place, and then see through the righteous vision of the father that desolation as a place of fruitfulness and um, the place of fruitfulness that the father wanted to make it. And it said, um, let's see, where are we? Right, so he was in Horeb, and it says, and thou shalt smite, which is to wound the rock, and there shall come out or shoot forth, which is the word you saw, water out of it, that the people may drink. And the word for drink isn't just, oh, I'm gonna take a sip, but it's to imbib, and it roots to a word that means, or imbibe, however you say that, and it roots to a word that means to drown. So meaning there was going to be an abundance of what the Father was providing there. And, um, you know, and that was that point of fruitfulness that the Father was going to bring, but that Moses had to partner with the Father in that place of authority for it to happen. And it was really that he was to partner for the breakthrough that would be known in the abundance of living water that would come forth for the people to be satiated with, you know, and I also was um, with that word smite, just my attention was brought to the fact, you know, that it's talking about to strike or wound or to kill and that, you know, that rock representing the authority that, you know, God was demonstrating, I think as well, the wounding that we must endure as those who stand in his authority to see the abundant provision that comes when we break through. And it's really this idea of dying to self to see how he's seen with the expectation that his life or his fruitfulness will be known in abundance. But again, when you're in a um, unlikely situation where you're in a desert and you have a rock and there is no um, oasis, there is no stream that you see flowing and the father is saying, on my authority, on you know, what I am enabling you to see in the spirit with my righteous vision, this is what I need you to act upon. And this is what I need you to be obedient to do the thing that really seems unlikely or far-fetched <laughs> or impossible. And, you know, it's one of those, and we know this, but I think too, um, I don't know. It's like, it's easy to apply it in a big scale of... Um, What is the best way to say it? I'm so so my particular situation, you know, my work right now is mandating that everybody who works there in order to have a safe environment get this COVID vaccine. And I have my own reasons why I don't want to, not to mention the fact that I've had it already. So there's a certain immunity. But with that, there is this point of, all right, Father, when I go to my HR person and tell them that this is the stance that I'm taking, that having the perspective that um, what I'm saying is coming from what I feel like the Father has revealed to me as far as my position of authority and the stance that I'm to take, because in essence, it could cost me my job. You know, I don't know if they're going to see my logic and say, all right, it makes sense, we're okay with it. Or if they're going to say, 
well, you signed this contract here that says you will abide by the policies that this office puts out, and this is our, our new vaccine policy, and you're not abiding by it, so see ya. <laughs> but my point in that is that um, it's a situation that it's not such a grand scale like the impossibility of our nation functioning as it should. And I don't want to say that it's impossible, but you know, it's just because there are decisions being made by people higher up that um, are, I don't know, taking us down a path that just seems it's going to, you know, undermine and destroy the very foundation of what our country was built on. And that's a much bigger scale. But in a much smaller scale, you know, in my own life, just going, all right, Lord, I have to trust that if I'm moving forward in a position that I've been seeking you on, the stance that I'm supposed to be taking, that um, you're going to provide an abundance, even if it means it looks like I have to stand in this wilderness place for that abundance to come. And that the, um, and you know, it may be that the job goes, but that in that the Father is able to provide another opportunity, you know, that in that there's some other instruction that I've been wanting to receive that there will be time for. I mean, there's all sorts of ways that you can see that the Father um, would be setting things up to bring provision if they do let me go. Now, he can certainly bring the provision, too, that their eyes are, you know, that's, is it my hand? Okay. <clears throat> I was going to say, you know, that they would have a, a different mindset so that when I share what I do, that they aren't, you know, have such a strong mind that they say, okay, you need to leave. But the point being that you realize you have this position of authority, that having to look at this scenario and really see in the spirit realm what is going on and that point of partnership that he's called us to as sons. And um, so anyways, so then um, if we look in Exodus 33, verses 18 through 23, um, it says, and he said, and this is Moses talking to the father. And it said, and he said, I beseech thee, show or raw me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness or tobe pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And this, obviously, this is after Moses had asked the father to see his face. He said, show me, well, I guess I read that at the beginning. Never mind. So, and the word for Lord is Yahweh. And it says, um, and the Lord said, thou canst not see or raw all my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And that's our word, sewer. And it shall come to pass while my glory passeth by that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. And so um, it's interesting too, because when this scenario happens, this is actually right before Israel is supposed to be going into battle. And so it's almost like Moses wanted to be able to discern the fullness of the glory or the weightiness of God because he wanted to know and be assured that the judgment and burning was going to accompany him and Israel as they went into this next battle and that in that they would have victory. 
And, um, and he wanted to be able to view so that he could gauge where the evil was existing for the purpose of eliminating it. However, God was telling him, you know, he was reminding him that if he wanted to continue in this point of partnership with him, it was going to be a, to, from a place of complete submission to the way that the Father wanted to work. And that from that point um, that he had chosen to submit maybe what he thought was necessary. Because it's like when you have the whole battle plan, then sometimes you go about enacting your own way to see that accomplished. (laughs) But Moses was going to have to choose to submit what he was thought was necessary for victory to be gained in order to have that righteous vision of the plans and purpose of God revealed in his timing. Um, And, you know, and and it's one of those, that timing, because I know Pastor Ron taught on, you know, seeing the backside, and I don't remember all the detail, but that it just has to do with the fathers going, this is my timing. This is how much you need to know in this moment so that you can partner with my vision and that you can declare, you can be that point, that stylos or that pillar um, that represents, you know, or brings the authority of the Father to bear on the earth. And that's um, the word, where is it? Because he talks about standing. So he says, behold, there is a place, which actually means a standing by me, and thou shalt stand. And that word for stand there is nasab which means to be appointed or established as a pillar. And so the father was going to establish Moses as a pillar on this rock of his authority, on this capacity to see into the spirit what he was wanting to do. And that's our role that we play in the temple. You know, we are in the temple, we are plowing, and in that place we function as the pillar where the Father is able to pour through us what it is He's wanting to accomplish, and then in obedience, we partner in going forth. Amen. Go ahead. Yeah, so I don't think I'm on. Okay, so it really is all about being that touch point between heaven and earth, and He's asking us to go ahead and partner with the unseen and the natural, but the scene that we're, we are envisioning that's coming through that flow of heaven right. to partner with that before we can actually see it manifest. That's exactly and demonstrate it. it. That's exactly it. And, um, you know, and you see that because when the father says, you know, once he places him in the rock, he says, and I will take away my hand. And again, it's that hollow hand and that thou shall see, you know, so it's all about that point of, partnership. It's all about trusting for what the Father, you know, being sons of faith, sons of Abraham, you know, that which we haven't seen, but what the Father has shown us he wants to do, trusting for that even in the natural of what we see as the desert. Well, if you think about what he's asking about, show me thy glory, we know the glory is always about the mission and the way God is going to provide for that mission and, and offer security to accomplish that mission not only for the mission, but for the missionee, <laughs> right? For the person doing the mission, and and so he's asking to see it ahead of time, and God's like, "Nope, you need to partner first, right? With with what I'm envisioning, exactly. even though it's yeah, we've said that, but even though you can't see it, right? No, that's exactly, and that's what I was trying to say, but you may have said it better, you know, just that, yeah, yeah. No, no, that's perfect. Because like we said, you know, Moses wanted to discern all of it. He wanted to know that then when they went out, the enemy was going to be smote, (laughs) that they were going to be utterly destroyed, and that there wouldn't be any 
loss on the part of Israel. So, and that's the tough part because sometimes you have to realize that there may be loss. Usually it's going to be loss of our own agenda on our own self, but that that's necessary in order to, and you know, it could even be loss of reputation. It could be loss of, um, I don't know. You know, sometimes that's just as hard. It's one thing to take a stand, and it's another thing to know when you take that stand, what may be said about you when you're not there, you know, in regards to the stance that you took. And yet again, knowing that that identity as a son and that authority is really the only reputation that much matters. So, it's, it's very true. And in part, you know, we. Um, we we want to know that we're going to be successful, and and uh, I think Moses was seeking that confirmation that he was going to be successful, and uh, obviously the Lord was saying, you know, if you're going to be successful, you have to start here, and uh, to know more success, you're going to have to keep following what I direct you to do, uh, and, and so this was a this is really a, a valuable lesson for us in seeing that. Um, you know, we are going to be successful where we are so that we will be successful as we continue. And, and so that's where our, our uh, trust in the Lord is, is coming, that, that he has brought us to a point that's going to bring success and not to a point that's going to bring failure. Right. Well, and that it's going to be abundant <laughs> because it's... And yeah. if you think about the first point of vision that was acknowledged, it was Abraham with that righteous vision. And he was going, I mean, you talk about a hopeless situation. The only son that was supposed to bring the fulfillment of the promise that had been made to him, he was going to sacrifice. But we're, we're given a, an insight into his thinking in Hebrews, and he just, he just figured God would raise him from the dead. Right. I mean, you, to talk about having that much faith in God, in his mission, in what he says, come partner with me in that you're willing to say, okay, even though I'm going to have to endure something terrible in order to do that, I'm willing to do that because I know at the other end, even if it's something I can't envision on my own, you have, you know, what, how you're going to rectify, how you're going to resolve this whole promise thing. Right. You're going to do it. Absolutely. Even if I haven't yet thought up the way that you could do it. Because we, as mankind, we always want to think we always want to provide our own solution. We do. Well, it's like we, if want, we want that assurance. Everything. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's interesting. It reminds me of the, the mantra of the Air Force. You know, it's all about the mission. But, you know, that's what it is, that we give everything for the mission of the Father, for that of sons. And so, like we said, whatever it requires, because we know that ultimately what the Father is wanting to accomplish, it's beyond what we could try and come up with in our own natural mind. And the Father's only going to show us exactly what we need for that moment because he doesn't want us, for lack of a better word, screwing it up. You know, you see too far down, you're like, oh, wait, but if I maneuver this. So, um, so in Psalms 27, verses 1 through 5, you, this is, I believe, David in this psalm, and it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? So whom shall I revere? Whom, who do I have to dread? Because the Lord is my strength, and that's the word defense, of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And that word afraid is actually different than the first fear. It's to be startled or to be shaken. 
When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, come upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. And the concept of eating his flesh is just to devour him. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, and this will I be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord. Sorry, I'm crying. <laughs> that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. Sorry. <laughs> he shall set me upon a rock. So, thank you. You know, David understood the principle of the rock. He knew that it was a place of promotion where he would function on behalf of the authority of God. And the purpose that had been prophetically revealed to him in the temple, or that place of dwelling of the Lord. And it was the place of unity with the Father he desired and sought to be established in all the days of his life. He knew that in order to break through into what the Father directed from his temple, he first had to die to self, so that when he came up against the raw, the outpost of the Father that he helped to establish would be where he could authoritatively speak to what the Father wanted to accomplish in that nation, despite how things may have appeared in the natural. He knew that he would be the conduit of the temple of the Lord to bring his purpose to earth. And, you know, I mean, that's the summation of it. But, and you see it because that word, when he says to behold, that is the word huzzah, which actually means to prophesy or to mentally perceive or to have a vision. So, and um, this is... Again, so like I was saying, near that point of having to die to self, to know the beauty of the Lord and to inquire. And that word for inquire is bakar, which means to plow or to break forth. Um, and, and this was to be able to break forth in, you know, in the tabernacle. And that it says, when he will set me upon, the word for set upon is actually promote. So again, you know, being on that point, being on the rock, being set upon the rock, it's that point of promotion. It is that path of grace that causes us, again, to be able to press into the Father's heart, to see what his vision is, and then to be able to stand in the authority of what he's shown us he's going to do, even when we're compassed about by our enemies who are seeking to devour us, because that is where he was. And we know David's story, you know, and especially for a long stretch where he was running from Saul and there would be those Saul would send after him, mighty men that he would send after and, and they would compass round about. And yet he knew that the father had told him he was going to be part of this lineage. He was going to be a king, you know, to Israel that would lead them in accordance with the heart of what the father intended. And so, he would continually go before the Lord then to have, to gain that prophetic insight, to gain the direction for what the Father was wanting to do. And I, I really think the Lord is bringing all this up right now to remind us about it because, of course, the situation that we're living in, we've seen what just in the last two years, we've seen a deterioration of society, of people towards people that we've not seen in our lifetime amongst our own people. Yes, maybe from another country, but not amongst our own people. 
And I think this is just the tip of the iceberg because I think it's going to be focused more against Christians, against saints. Um, We we know it, it really is behind the scenes now. It's against saints. But, I mean, it's going to be more outward, I think, in demonstration. And, and God is really trying to get us to this point of trusting him fully, of standing, standing before that, that sea with the enemy, you know, breathing down our necks and knowing that we have no other recourse except to trust in God and knowing right. that that's what we want to be. We want to be in that place rather than in trying to turn around and fight for ourselves right. because we don't. We don't, our battle, we keep reminding ourselves, it's not, not against flesh and blood. Flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. It's against the powers and the principalities. Yes. Well, and, and so I had, you know, that, so likewise, when we accept the authority of our assignment, the enemy is going to encamp around us. But this is also where we're going to watch him flee in seven ways, because we'll use this authority to press into the Lord and see his beauty, to inquire in the temple, to know that this, where we are is our launching point of heaven into the nations, and that we're going to establish ourselves at this point, and we're going to be committed to it. And, um, you know, and again, as I stated before, that we're going to find in this point, God is calling us to move and work in very unconventional ways. And we have to remember who the rock is and what we're representing in our point of standing. And that we're functioning in the temple. I think, you know, that's the other thing. We are functioning in this point of the temple. We're not just finding random rock to go stand on, <laughs> you know. <laughs> right? That one's taller. My rock's taller than your rock. <laughs> and I'm glad you said that because I, I left it to just trusting God, but it's so much deeper than this. This is really a new phase that we're going into where we're really we're going to, by just what we declare into the realm and what we stand on behalf of, accomplish things that are just mind-blowing yeah. for this earth and in the spirit realm. I mean, and, and so we've got to be in a position where we can do that. Amen. And, um, and so the next set of scriptures more specifically reference God as the rock, and, um, but it's still the same word, sewer. And I just thought, you know, if we're in this place of standing, it's also important to remember the authority of the one that we're standing on, but what he embodies. Not that we've not been told that, but regardless. So in Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, it says, He is the rock. His work is perfect or complete, for all his ways are judgment, a God, L, of truth and without iniquity, and right is he. I mean, and it's just, and again, we know this, but it is the heart of God, because this word for God is El, and a God of truth, that was the word Amon, you know, his truth is established, and it's without any point of twisting, and he is righteous, and, and the word for right is prosperous, is he, you know, straight or prosperous. We know the ways of the Lord are going to be prosperous for his intent. And we know that it's the intent of his heart that we're partnering with. I mean, it's that intimate place of commune that, I mean, this is who, as we stand in this point of authority, it's on behalf of his heart, you know, to remember that that's where we are. Yeah, go ahead. I think it's real interesting that uh, this rock is, is the sewer, which means it's solid. And the fact that he is the perfect means that there's no crumbly edges. That there's right. no part of him that is weak or has a cleavage that is going to break off if you stand on it, or there's no part that you can't use. 
of God. They're, they're, it's complete, it's full, it's perfect. To stand on him is to be sure-footed in every aspect of who God is. And there's not a weak part, there's not a crumbly part, there's not a part we can't trust. And uh, so that goes along with this concept of the sewer, uh, that, that solid, complete, fulfilled rock. There, there, it's, its formation was absolutely uh, total and, and there's no weak part in it. Well, and that's what we're allowed to function in, is this fullness of him. This fullness of his spirit and who he is is what he stands us on. You can see, too, why the enemy is goading people right now then to, to attack this very point of taking God's truth and twisting it in such a fashion where it's really aimed at attacking that position of, of the rock. Right, because then what you stand on won't be solid, and it would crumble. And yeah, And I was just getting a, a picture of... You know, when we've been asked to take a stand, like you're going to do, you know, like you're doing with your job, it's not that when you do that, the ground's going to fall out from underneath you, because that's what it wants to feel like. Like, once you do this, there's no turning back, and case sera, sera. But the reality is, you know, that stand is exactly what God's asked you to do. Ergo, it's not, there's nothing to fall. Right. Now, it may look (laughs) like... (laughs) <laughs> like a house of cards, and it feel like it's just going to crumble around you. But the reality is, you know, as we're looking at it from a spiritual standpoint, you're standing there on a foundation that isn't going to make you, there's no slipping off. There's no stumbling backwards. There's no, um, like I said, it's not like the floor is going to fall out from underneath you because where you're standing isn't just something you've made up as a good idea. This is where God's commissioned you to take your stand. Well, and in obedience, when we stand there too, that again, it's setting up that spiritual atmosphere. So there are things that will be accomplished in the lives of the people that you've spoken to, the people who continue to work in that building, whether I'm there or not, that because of obedience to what the Father directs will be seen, will be accomplished. And the reality is you're standing in a more sure spot than what even that job could possibly provide in the natural. Right. Right. So, and, you know, evidenced when you look in 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 10, and this is Hannah, and, you know, and we know Hannah prayed she, that she would have a son, and this is her point of rejoicing, and it says, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord, mine horn is exalted in the Lord, my mouth is enlarged over mine enemies, because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord, For there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. Excuse me. The bows of the mighty are broken, and they that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceased, so that the barren hath borne seven and she that hath many children is waxed feeble. The Lord killeth and make alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For pillars of the earth are among are the Lord's and he hath set the world upon them. He will keep, and this is 
what was just being spoken. He will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength shall no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and he shall give strength unto his king. So, which we were just (laughs) heard the teaching on, you know, those who are reigning in the authority of the Lord, who are gaining his directive and doing what it says. And in this, we're taking the high places, which leads to dominion. So this is all as king. (laughs) And exalt the horn of his anointed. So those who have been consecrated as kings or priests or saints, which is us. And I mean, I think the scripture pretty much, you know, it speaks for itself. But, um, you know, this is how the father is functioning as the rock. (laughs) And... It's interesting, there was, and I really thought I'd made a note for myself on it because I was looking it up, but when it talks about, um, I mean, knowledge is that application of his purpose, you know, for the Lord is knowledge and by him actions are weighed. And there is another, um, and again, and, you know, I just think it's significant that when you're looking about, or you're looking at too, that this is the, the Lord, his point of, um, you know, again, his enduring wholeness, his, his authority that she was standing on, that in that, because that was where she stood, that it's talking about the, um, where is it? I'm sorry. I'll find it here in a second. It's about the ones, oh, well, the bean made pillars, but it was also about the barren. There we go. So, and they that were hungry ceased, so that the barren hath borne seven. I mean, that's completeness, you know, the fullness of what the father wants, and she that hath many children is wax feeble. Because it's, you know, it's that concept of, you know, Hannah only had one son, but there was a completeness to that work that was being done because of her submission to the father, where someone else could have 20 kids, but if it wasn't, they weren't committed to the Lord in the same manner that Hannah was, that there wasn't any strength in that 20, and in the one that she had, because of where she stood with the father and for what he was doing, there was more power and authority there than in the family that had 20 kids to carry on their generation, their lineage. Um, because certainly the lineage of the father is greater. And, you know, even, and I think it's significant, it talks about for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. I mean, that is us, <laughs> you know, as the pillars, those who stand in his temple those are what belong to the Lord. And when it says, and he hath set the world, upon them isn't actually in that. It's not really there. It doesn't have a Hebrew um, number assigned to it. So, and it just says, the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he hath set the world. You know, that's what he is standing, established the world on are those of us who would be in that point of partnership, bringing again, his glory to this earth. I just, uh, with our pre-conversation about the solidness, the perfectness of the rock and the adversaries uh, are the broken to pieces. They're they're not solid. They don't have any cohesiveness. Their structure is unable to support any stance that they have against the Lord. And I just think that's really significant in understanding how we are going to prevail. Um, We, you know... It's um, it's it's such a um, a foundation that uh, uh, no matter what is going on, there, there's just 
no crumbling. It's that whole teaching of Jesus building on the rock, right. and and they there there is an ability to stand even when it doesn't look like we should be standing. Right. Well, and and that's you know in verse nine, and it says he'll keep the feet of his saints, and that the wicked will be silent in darkness, for by strength shall no man prevail. You know their own strength, what they're going to have, won't prevail against the strength of the Lord, against what He is doing. As and as those who are standing and representing His heart, it won't prevail against what we are declaring He's doing in that. So. Um, and then in 2 Samuel 22, 29 through 37, we go back, back to David. Um, and he says, let me see how I have it. Okay. And it says, For thou art my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord will lighten my darkness. For by thee I have run through a troop. <laughs> by my God I have leaped over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all them that trust in him. For who is God save the Lord? Who is a rock save our God? God is my strength and power, and he maketh my way perfect. And this is interesting because this echoes what Hannah was saying up above. He maketh my feet like hind's feet and setteth me upon high places. He teacheth my hands to war so that a bow of steel is broken in my, by my arms. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy gentleness hath made me great. Thou hast enlarged my steps under me, so that my feet did not slip. And that's exactly what Hannah was saying up above, you know, and what we were just talking about. You know, the, and, you know, I think Dad's taught before on the whole hinds feet, you know, wherever you launch off of with your back, your front feet, back feet, I don't know. I'm trying to think of the motion, you know, that it comes together and they're both in that same spot again. And that that's a point of strength there, you know, that it's that it's not like a, oh, I misstepped, that there's a sureness because, you know, they traverse up the mountains. But that, you know, again, she's just declaring that, or he's declaring that God is the strength and power and that he's the one who's teaching our hands to war. And by this, you know, steel, a bow of steel will be broken by our arms. And he's talking about, um, you know, he's enlarged his steps under him so he doesn't stumble. And, you know, and Hannah's talking about that her, what is it, the mouth has been enlarged to, um, her mouth is enlarged over her enemies. And I think to your mouth, you know, the words that you declare, that prophetic declaration, that's what's being enlarged, you know, and that's what's going to overcome the enemy. That is that place that David stood in in the temple was as that prophetic voice, you know, when he was seeking to behold the beauty of the Father. Yeah, and, and the concept of the hinds feet is, is two, the sureness of the footing, but the ability to move quickly over um, rough terrain. Right. So that, that there is no hesitation or there's no uh, impediment in the moving of forward. And I think that's, that's a quick movement that is going to be empowering us or is going to be our confidence so that we are not scratching our heads going, should I do this or shouldn't I? We're just going to know that this is how we're going to navigate. We're going to move quickly through it. Right. Very good. So, all right. And then, um, and just, you know, two more scriptures and Psalms that also back up the, um, just the father being in that point of the rock. And in Psalms 18, one through three, 
it says, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock. Now that rock is actually Selah. Um, and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength. And that's our word, sewer. And whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. And then in Psalms 62, verses 1 and 2, it also says, Truly my soul waiteth upon God, from him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense, which is the word for cliff or a high fort. I shall not be greatly, which is the word abundantly, moved, so I shall not be shaken, nor shall I fall. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's just our declaration, because, again, our soul, our flesh, our mind, our will, our emotion has to wait on him and has to wait on his heart because he is the only place we can stand and he is the only place that we will um, not be shaken and have that victory because he puts us in that high place. So, all right. And then um, our next verse in Deuteronomy. So this was Moses actually talking to the people of Israel because they had um, been intermingling and making other idols and worshiping things that you know, they remembered and brought forth from Egypt. Well, they shouldn't have brought forth, but those mentalities. And so, and he's, you know, and it's just really a reminder that the rock, that position of authority, is what births sons. And in Deuteronomy 32, 18, it says, Of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful, and hast forgotten, has forgotten God that formed thee. And so, you know, the word for forgotten is to be mislay or oblivious. So they had become oblivious to the heart of God. And the word for formed is actually, I don't know if it's Kyle or... I think, yeah, Kyle, so to whirl or dance or to bring forth. And we know that to be that restorative tooling that the Father does. So, you know, Moses was reminding the people that under these other rulers, they had become oblivious to the heart of God that had restored them and set them apart through the circumcision of their hearts to be committed to his heart alone. And they had given their passion and trusted the authority of strange gods whose power would ultimately give way to weakness as they were put to flight by the authority and the plans or purpose of God, you know? And so I think, too, we just have to remember that it is the heart of God. It is his authority that has birthed us and to not find other things to put our trust in that we're not um, submitting to. And those things could be mindsets sometimes, other mindsets that we think are going to provide them some modicum of security for us or help us to keep our jobs or help us to keep maybe even our positioning or to be in good standing with people around us, that it's not about that good standing. You know, it's about that partnership with the heart of God and who he's made us as sons. Um, and so just as we know the enemy likes to have a twisted version <laughs> to everything that the father has, you know, the next few verses actually just speak to the enemy's version of his own authority or his rock. And um, in Deuteronomy 32, verses 28 and 30, it says, For they are a nation void of counsel, neither is there any understanding in them. 
Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. How should one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight, except their rock had, rock had sold them and shut them up? Now, I actually thought... All right. So, and, and really, so the best the enemy's authority could afford them was to hand them over and to sell them. However, it is at this point that the plans and purpose of God could restore them to their place of function in his ways and put to flight those who moved in the authority of the false gods. And again, I know I went through and looked at these words, and I thought I had made little notes in this specific scripture about... Um, you know, being, had them shut up as actually has to do with a point of restoration that happened um, in that place. But regardless. In Deuteronomy 32, 31 and 32, it says, For their rock is not as our rock, even our enemies themselves being judges. For their vine is of the vine of Sodom and of the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall. Their clusters are bitter. You know, and it's just the authority that the enemy tries to provide for people who are partnering with him, it is going to be rooted in this bitterness, and it's going to be rooted in, you know, their vine. Because, I mean, as we know, Sodom was a very twisted place of iniquity, and this is what they're going to be established in. And that iniquity is not going to be able to withstand Again, the heart and the authority of our God and what we declare on behalf of what he's wanting to do. Amen. But yet, yeah, this is what the enemy is building his kingdom on. So if you know that that's what he's built on, right. hey, we know perfect love, grace, the cure, the grace remedy, you know, for bitterness. So we already know how to overcome his kingdom, his points of authority that he's establishing his kingdom on. Um, and in Deuteronomy 32, verses 36 through 40, it says, For the Lord shall judge his people and repent himself for his servants. When he seeth, or ra'ah, that their power is gone and there is none left. And that's significant because, you know, what the Father was saying is he was, he was discerning that their point of partnership, that open hand of partnership that afforded them power was flailing, and because that gone means to flail, to go to and fro, and that there was none that were maintaining, because the word for shut up is a sar, which means to maintain or rule, and it says or left, and the word for left was commit self, to commit self to his ways. So the father could see amongst the people that there weren't those who were still in that point of partnership, who were going to maintain his kingdom and be committed to his ways. And he shall say, where are their gods? Their rock in whom they trusted, um, which is they fled to for protection, which did eat of their, the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings. Let them rise up and help you and be your protection. See now that I, even I am he, there is no God with me. I kill and I make alive. And this goes back to this kill and make alive. This is it echoes what Hannah was saying, what David had said. Um, rather, they probably echoed what was said here because this was in Deuteronomy. Um, and the word for make alive is to make whole. I wound, so I crush or smash or subdue, and I heal. 
And the word heal is rafa, which is to mend. And he says, neither is there any that can deliver, or which is snatch, out of my hand. And that's that hand of partnership. For I lift up my hand to heaven and say, I live forever. You know, so the reality is when we're partnered with the hand of the Father, nobody can snatch you from that place. Now, certainly the Father and his authority is going to crush what the enemy's doing. But once that has been crushed, once he has brought his judgment to bear, then he's there to bring the mending to the hearts of men and to the hearts of nations so that they would know their identity is really in him and that solid foundation of his love and his heart and what he wants to do and not and what they've been standing on. You know, he, um, you know, he can kill, and the word kill, just, you know, to, to kill, totally desecrate, but then he can also make it whole. So, and only our God has the ability to do that, where the enemy's kingdom is all about just tearing down. There is no wholeness. There is no um, being mended or put back together. It's really about destruction. Boy, and aren't we seeing this right now? Because yeah. people are really putting their safety and their security in a vision that's not God. Right. It's a it's a man-made vision that in many ways is falling apart. Is not even before. noble in its in its beginnings. Right. Because there's so much corruption established behind it. Right. Which is of course all enemy direct. Right. Because then as you try and see something carried forth in the natural by the enemy's design, by what man is doing, you also start to see it fall apart. It's like, oh, it's falling apart here. Okay, let's just like smoke screen. Don't look here where it's falling apart. Let's let's create this new <laughs> Yeah, new diversion, new tactic of something to, to move in, and you can be sure of this. You know, forget that that fell apart. Be sure in this. This will work. <laughs> so, and, um, and so then our last few scriptures here are the solution to the rock of the enemy. And so in Joshua 5, verses 2 through 5, it says, At that time the Lord said unto Joshua, Make thee sharp. And so here are the words, as I've bolded, sharp are the words, sewer. Knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise. All the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness by the way after they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that came out were circumcised, but the people that were born in the wilderness by the way as they came forth out of Egypt, them had not um, them they had not circumcised. You know, so God had to cause his authority to be that that was going, that which would set Israel apart and prepare them to enter into the promised land or that new thing that he was doing in an unconventional way. Because we know as they took the promised land, they were marching around the walls trying to avoid the slushies the French peas were throwing at them. Just kidding. song, <laughs> Jean-Claude. And so, right. But, you know, so they had to submit themselves to his authority and the way he wanted to do things. And so you did, you had this whole generation that had been born in the wilderness. And while their parents should have been bringing them up and teaching them to continue to stand and be in this point of authority, as we read earlier, we know that they weren't necessarily. And so in order for them to move as the father was directing Joshua, they had to set themselves aside. They had to died of their own agenda for being able to take authority over the nations around them and their own plans and say, all right, Lord, we're going to be consecrated to whatever you would require of us. And 
like we said, there were, and you know, it's kind of like when you try to convince people of something. I mean, you think about the remnant we have as saints, you know, that small in comparison. And so when you think about millions and millions of people that Joshua had to, if you had to try and convince them, if they weren't submitted themselves to the plans of the Father and what he wanted to do, can you imagine trying to convince that many people? I can't convince my kids some days. (laughs) You know, one person, why this is a good idea and you shouldn't run through the house, you know, so to speak. I mean, obviously not the same, but just that idea of trying to convince that many people on your own that yes, you should be quiet. You should make sure that you're not making any noise while we march around this wall, you know, because when we do make that declaration and the Father's timing, it's going to be that that brings the walls down. I mean, you would only do that if you were submitted to the Father, because having one man's good idea, that's like Noah saying, hey, come to my ark, you know, and everyone looking at him and going, what's rain? It's not rain, you know, you foolish man, you're working on this ark for how many years, <laughs> you know, and yet that was what the father required. And so they did, they had to be submitted, but this is the only way to be able to overcome, is to, as we know, to be, have our hearts circumcised and, you know, and it's like, and we as saints are set apart, but I think it's also just that continual mindset, you know, that heart, our mind, will, and emotions, that this circumcision aspect needs to take place <laughs> with every new point of grace the Father brings us into, because for every new point of grace, we know that that's where the opposition is going to be the greatest. And we know that we're going to have to die to our own way that we think it should be accomplished, because otherwise we're going to be making the noise when God's going, shh. <laughs> So, right. <laughs> um, but, but I mean, and that's, you know, and when I said, you know, the making noise, but that's like, um, what's his name who took the gold bricks and the clothing and whatever else? Achan. And because of that, his whole family, servants, everybody had to die because Israel was losing the battle because he hadn't been in obedience. He hadn't circumcised his heart. He hadn't committed himself. And so... You know, when you look at it from that perspective, it's just the weightiness, really, of as sons having to stand. Because if we don't, there's, there may be points of battle. Now, granted, God was still victorious in the end, but it doesn't mean there won't be casualties if we're not being obedient. Well, and you just realized, so Achan was willing to partner with God in the, in the battle, but then when it was time to leave the spoils of war as rubbish— he decided, eh, that's not such a good idea. I mean, you, you right. can see Right, well, in trust he, for what God would right. provide. So he was partnering to an extent, and then he decided that that wasn't, he's like, yeah. no one's going to miss this. Right, well, that's gonna, what I'm saying. So we have to continually yeah. be in that point of circumcision so that we don't do that. Because we think, oh, how would you do that? You know, go and keep it. And yet it's easy enough when the Father's given us something to overcome in that, I don't know, what we might pick up, what could be considered the spoils, you know, something that could be an advantage to us, that we say, oh, hey, this will help me get to that next step and promote me forward, and whatever ideas, and the Father's going, no, I just need you to allow me to promote you in what I'm doing. But to do that, you have to keep this mindset of being submitted before me and only standing on the rock of my authority and not of your own or the enemy's authority, really. So... Um, and so then our last two scriptures 
in Isaiah. And again, you know, Isaiah was one of the prophets, so he's talking to Israel. And it's saying, enter into the rock and hide thee in the dust for fear, for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. And so he was reminding them that they needed to abide. That word for enter is abide in the rock. And hide is taman, which is to cover over in the dust. You know, and so to me, that's that point of submission. You know, you abide in his heart and then you submit for the fear of the plans and purpose of the Lord um, and for the glory of his majesty because the father is going to be the one who's going to bow down. men. And it doesn't matter how high and what high esteem they hold themselves, how affluential they may be, they are going to bow before the Father. And that's what he says. And, but we're already bowed. <laughs> we have already put ourselves under the dust for the Father to be able to do this. We're not the ones standing on the tallest rock yelling, hey, you will, you know, do this. We've submitted. So... Um, And then our last verse in Isaiah 26, verses two through four. Open ye the gates that the righteous nation which keepeth, which is the word shamar, so to guard or hedge about the truth. So again, what you've heard at the right hand of the Father may enter in. Thou will keep, which is the word nasar, so to guard or protect or preserve him in perfect peace. And it's interesting because the word perfect is peace, it's shalom, and so is the word peace, obviously. So we'll keep him in perfect shalom, shalom, whose mind <laughs> um, is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. And, you know, when it says um, his mind, that roots to um, our purpose or the place where you've been pressed and you figure your mind is going to be that thing that's always pressing in on you. And it's saying when your mind, that thing that presses you is leaning upon or taking hold of the Lord on thee, that, um, you know, you're going to be, he will preserve thee. But it says, because he trusts in thee. And that word trust is hope. (laughs) So that seed of faith. And so it says, trust ye in the Lord and the plans and purpose of the Lord, Yahweh, forever. For the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. And the word strength is our word rock. And I just think it's appropriate to end there because open ye the gates. I mean, that's what we have been talking about. You know, we are to be standing in the gate as that righteous nation of those with his perspective who are guarding about what he's revealed to us at the right hand. You know, and in this place of um, keeping the gates open, we know that that then allows for those points of commune, for the doors and the commerce to, to occur. And that the Father, as we're standing there, that he's the one who's going to be protecting us and causing us to be victorious, you know, to go out and then come back in victory, which is this peace. But our mind, those things that want to press in on us is what has to be taking hold and standing fast on him because of our hope, because of that seed of faith that the Father has planted in us that we are standing on and recognizing that his plans and purpose is our strength. That is, that is where we stand. So, amen. That is all I have. You're welcome.